Oh, uh, you got the crier crying way early. This could be rough. All right, so we're in Lamentations 3. I'm going to just play a little bit of a uh, little bit of catch up here for those of us that maybe have not been here uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, we are in a sermon series called Beauty Will Rise based on the book of Lamentations. And most people, if they pick up a Bible to read it, most people do not land in the book of Lamentations. That's just the reality of it. Um, so it's, it's a heavy book. Uh, there's, there's very uh, little hope found in just the words of the book. But the good news is, we're three, this is week three. You have chosen the week that there's about four verses that are full of hope. So if you come back week four and five, you're going to lament a little bit more with, with some folks. But uh, so, so week one, uh, Jimmy Priest, and, and the main idea in week one was the, the fact that sin leads to suffering. Week two, last week, we looked at, uh, at the fact that God, the godly response to suffering is lament. So there's nothing wrong with lamenting, lamenting suffering and loss. And just as a reminder, some, some quick hits about uh, lamentations as a whole. So, so this book is about the destruction of Jerusalem. This book is about the people of God who continually went their own way, who continually sought their own idols and did their own thing in the voice of prophets that said, don't do that, please turn, fix your eyes on, on Yahweh. But they still went their own way. And so this book is, is showing the the aftermath of that and and jeremiah is pouring out his heart to god and he's he's feeling the pain of that and so you know once again the people of god had been warned repeatedly about the consequences that would come and and now god is is judging their sin and and disciplining them as he said he was going to do this is not like a surprise attack by god when he's like hi i got you i mean he he laid it out if you turn from me, there will be consequences. And so there's severe suffering that's, that's taken place. Uh, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and, and destroyed it. And they took a, most of the people and, and exiled them away. And there were so, some remaining. But what they were suffering now was it wasn't just like people saying mean things to them. It literally was they had no food. They were starving to death. Uh, A verse in chapter 2 even goes as far to say that they had to revert to eating their own children. And so they are are experiencing rape by the Babylonians. They're experiencing horrific life circumstances. But it started with disobedience. And so this this is comprised of five acrostic poems. The Hebrew language has 22 letters in it. And each one of these poems uh, starts with the letter, the one of the 22 letters in secession. And so one of the unique aspects about this is that now in, in, ver- in chapter 3, now we're kind of jumping to, up, up until now, uh, Jeremiah has been lamenting on behalf of Jerusalem. Really more of a corporate lament. A lot of we's, a lot of, you know, how did this happen to us? And so now in chapter 3, what we're going to see is now Jeremiah is going to turn it more personal. There's a lot of eyes involved in chapter 3. Because 
Jeremiah was being used by God as a prophet to tell the people of God to turn from their wicked ways and to turn back toward Yahweh. And they clearly disobeyed. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, man, can you imagine, like, if you ever, you know, I know there's some young guys that, you know, God's calling you into vocational ministry. You want to serve the Lord with your life, and you want to do that as, as, your, as your job as well. But I wonder how many of you would second guess that if you could look ahead and see that you had the calling of a Jeremiah, right? So Jeremiah didn't have the privilege of like, hey, man, you're going to go into ministry and, you know, you're going to speak forth the word of the Lord and, and many people will come to you. Like, literally, his whole ministry was a ministry of discouragement. His whole ministry was standing fast in what the Lord gave him to proclaim to the people of God and the people of God saying, no. We're going to do our own thing. And so he got termed the, the weeping prophet. It broke his heart to see these people turn from the Lord. Chapter 3 is three times longer than the other four chapters. And so, so you know, the first 20 verses, we're going to get to join Jeremiah again and some more lament and work our way through that. And, and then there's going to be uh, it crescendos. This chapter 3 crescendos. I, I think about it like a roller coaster. If you've ever been on a roller coaster, you, you start real slowly up the hill, but, but you get to a peak, right? You get to this climax, and then you take off. And that's what we're going to see is that, that his personal lament ultimately will crescendo to going back to what he remembers uh, to be true of God. And it crescendos in a hope that is anchored in the Lord. And I think, once again, we can, we can feel that. It, that relates to us because many of us are going through something in life that feels like this isn't fair, this isn't, how I des- uh, this isn't how I would want things to be. You know, maybe you're not suffering in a sense that, that you're starving or, you know, or dealing with having to decide if you want to eat your child today or or rape, or something like that, but, but something's going on in a lot of our lives that still puts us at a crossroad to say, are we going to trust God for who He is, or are we going to follow our feelings and lean on our circumstances? So we're going to read Lamentations 3. So if nothing else, we're just going to read it six, all the way through Lamentations 3, 1 through 33. Um, that part I can't mess up, right? So that's the word of the Lord, and we're going to make sure we get that thing right. And so let's read together, starting in Lamentations 3.1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. 
He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has seated me, sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Who's encouraged yet? Awesome. It's great. All right, let's keep going though. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And this is where we pivot. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So we read for the first 20 verses more of Jeremiah's lament, but we finally get to claim and grab a hold of some hope in who God is. And so the main idea of the sermon today is this. While suffering tempts us to lose hope, God's faithfulness teaches us to choose hope. While suffering tempts us to lose hope, God's faithfulness teaches us to choose hope. We're going to start, and I'm going to try to go quickly through the suffering part because I want to get to the good part. Right, It's kind of like when you're, you're a kid and your parents tell you you've got to eat the main food, the vegetables, before you get to the dessert. Well, I, I want to make sure we get to the, the hope, but, but we've got to set the stage based on what Jeremiah is dealing with here. So, so what we see is that suffering tempts Jeremiah and it tempts us to lose hope as we experience some of the following feelings. One, we feel abandoned. Right, We feel, we feel abandoned by God when we experience things that we don't think should happen. You see in verse 2 that says, He has driven and brought me into darkness. The, the term for driven there is, is not like, hey, hop in a car and let me take you somewhere. It would be more like driving cattle. It would be more like you are going whether you like it or not. And so Jeremiah feels like God has put him in this place whether he likes it or not. Verse 4, we feel worn down and weary. Jeremiah says, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. We feel bitter. A lot of times when we experience 
pain and suffering, we feel bitter. Verse 5, he has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. Right? We, tend to, we tend to grow a little bit bitter, once again, when we don't think things are working out like we think they should. We feel walled in sometimes. Verse 7, it says, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. How many of you can relate with Jeremiah in that, that when you go through trials, you feel like there's really nowhere to turn? There, there is no good option. And the walls literally, for some of us, feel like they're caving in. We feel like God no longer hears us. Verse 8 says, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. This is the same Jeremiah that was, was hearing from God, passing on the message as a prophet to the people of God. Now he's saying, because of the circumstances and what I'm witnessing with my eyes, I'm not even sure that God hears me when I cry. We feel like we're the target of God's wrath. Verse 10 through 12 says, He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps, tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. You know, so not only is Jeremiah feeling like, man, I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe these people did not listen to God, and now I'm feeling the brunt of it. But he feels like God is actually coming after him, setting his target on Jeremiah. We feel oftentimes humiliated and objectified. Verse 14 says, I become the laughing stock of all peoples, the objects of their taunts all day long. Isn't it ironic, don't you think? Everybody born before 2000 is like, <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't in the notes. Isn't it ironic, though, that when we're walking through something, that it's so easy to feel humiliated? We feel like, whether people know or not, we feel like every eye, when we walk in the room, is on us. And that we are completely exposed to every onlooker. So think about this. Jeremiah is saying, man, I feel absolutely humiliated. So I feel like I can't hear from God who I've got this relationship with. Yet I'm seen and heard by everybody else. Everybody knows me and hears me other than my Savior. We feel in turmoil verse 17 says my soul is bereft of peace i've forgotten what happiness is we feel like we can't continue on he goes on in verse 18 to say so i say my endurance has perished i don't know how long i can do this god i'm about out of steam he says, so my endurance has perished, so is my hope from the Lord. And so finally, we feel hopeless. That's what Jeremiah is experiencing right now, is absolute hopelessness. 
But let's look and see. Hey, we made it through the hard part. Let's look and see, though. In verse 18 is the first time in this poem that he mentions the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So often we can just start down this trail of all that's wrong and all that we're witnessing. Now, once again, we're not going to discount the fact that lamenting is perfectly fine. And the Lord can handle our lament. But as he mentions the name of the Lord, something changes. He says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. At the mention of the Lord, his mind is triggered to say, wait. I've done a lot of remembering. I'm doing a lot of observing. But I can't just remember the bad parts. I need to call to mind who God is. And so some key takeaways as we pivot to this crescendo of hope is that we're tempted in our suffering. I think Brett read my notes. We're tempted to follow our feelings. We all are. When our feelings tell us to feel a certain way, we are quick to jump on the path and take a walk with our feelings. And the truth is, we don't forget our feelings, right? Has it ever been beneficial to you? I'll let wives answer this one. Hey, wives, has it ever been beneficial to you when your husbands deny all their feelings, stuff them down, and don't communicate about anything? That's why Lori has a job. We don't forget our feelings, but we also don't follow them. Another temptation that we see in this that Jeremiah is combated with is to remember only the worst. It's easy to just remember all the lowlights of your experience in your life and not recall the faithfulness of God. You guys ever had, anybody ever had food poisoning from a restaurant? Anybody ever had food poisoning from a restaurant that up until that point you really, really enjoyed? It was like a go-to. What experience from that restaurant post-food poisoning do you remember? (laughs) Right? We don't remember the 37 meals that were like amazing. We remember the worst experience. My nephew had food poisoning several years ago, and my kids were, he was with my mom. I think my mom was doing like a Nana day with all the grandkids, and my, my kids happened to be at, the house, at their house as well. And, I mean, I feel like this is it's really more like God's discipline because he, he got Long John Silver, right? <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> but... To this day, if Long John Silver's comes up around my kids who did not eat Long John Silver's that night, they remember Cooper's experience. They remember what they heard coming from the upstairs bathroom. 
they remember the worst. We're tempted to lose hope. Ultimately, we are tempted in suffering and trials to lose hope, as was Jeremiah. That's the temptation, but the truth is, hope is not gained by denying reality, but by turning our minds to the Lord. So we don't deny what actually happened. He he has properly lamented what's going on in his life. But now his mind has shifted and turned to the Lord. And so let's read some of the best passages or some of the best verses of the entire Old Testament. Verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. What happened in Jeremiah's heart is that he began to remember that God is faithful to his promises, to his people, and to his plan. He began to recall that all all the things he was experiencing current day we're not completely descriptive of how faithful God is and has been to his promises, people, and plan. Verse 22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So the steadfast love, Pastor Philip has talked about this in a sermon a couple years ago. Steadfast love, it's, it's in the Hebrew, it's a hesed, hesed. It's a covenant love. Right? This, is, this is a love based on God's love toward his people. This is a love that says, this is not up to you. I've made a covenant with you, my people. And I'm going to keep the promise that I made. A writer from the Bible Project by the name of Whitney Woolard in regard to the covenants that God had made throughout the Old Testament and culminating in the New Covenant. She says, God preserved the world through Noah, initiated redemption through Abraham, formed a special people through Israel, promised a shepherd king through David, and then fulfilled all of his covenantal promises through Jesus. With each covenant, God's promises and plans to save the world through the seed of the woman become clearer and clearer until we finally see that redemption can only come through King Jesus. See, just as this string of verses packed right in the middle of this poem is the climax of Lamentations. It's the climax of the entire book. Jesus, in fulfilling the new covenant, in setting up a new covenant for us, and giving us an opportunity to have a restored relationship with God, our Father, God the Father, God the Creator who can become God the Father. Jesus is the climax of all the covenants that we see God being faithful to throughout the Old Testament. 
similar to Jeremiah lamenting, but being centered by these truths are God's promises and faithfulness. They're rooted right in the center of the book for a reason. Right, because we don't have to come through everything to then claim and see God's faithfulness. We can see it right in the middle, and that's where Jeremiah sees it. He sees it right in the middle. Nothing's changed. I mean, he j- he's still witnessing murder. He's still witnessing absolutely horrific events, but he's also witnessing that God is faithful. Hebrews 10, 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Dr. Paul David Tripp, for those of you that know who that is, says, None of the promises of God become null and void because you're suffering. I think that's good to remember. Our suffering does not dictate whether God's promises are null and void. See, God's not only faithful to his people, his plan, and his promises, he's faithful to his own character. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He's going to be faithful whether we are or not. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that in Lamentations as the people of God turned. Is he disciplined them? Yes. Do they deserve it? Yes. But he didn't cut them off. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He had every right to wipe out the people of God. But he's faithful to his covenant. He's faithful to his promise. And he's faithful to his people. Verse 24, he says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And so when when we think about portion... What Jeremiah is saying, how important, how many of you remember all the, all the tribes got all the, the different lands, right? They were assigned territories and lands. It was a big deal to them to have some land. That was their portion. What's just happened? They don't have their land anymore. It was taken from them. They were besieged. And so what Jeremiah is reminding himself of through proclaiming to the Lord is that you are my portion, Lord. Whether I have any land whatsoever, whether I have any food whatsoever, whether I have anything in this world, I have you and you are my portion. We see that God's mercies are not based on man's merit. And that should be great news to us. God's mercies are not based on man's merit. When he says, and and I'm reading today, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. 
But he says his mercies, plural, his mercies never come to an end. And what that denotes is that denotes that they are continuous, right? You need more than one zap of mercy. You're going to mess up today. You're going to wake up and something's going to go wrong tomorrow. And it's going to be your fault. But you're also going to wake up. And if you're a child of God, you can, you can remember that his mercies are new every morning. You say, well, I don't feel that way. If you have breath in your lungs and if you have the ability to open your eyes, that's not because you've willed it, it's because God's willed it. That in itself is a reminder that his mercy, as he breathes breath into your lungs, are new every morning. An old dead guy by the name of J.C. Ryle, a couple centuries ago, says, Let us rise from our beds every morning with a deep conviction that we are debtors and that every day we have more mercies than we deserve. Let's pick up on verse 25. Verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly. For the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He starts this passage Verse 25 through 27. And he continually comes back to the fact that it's good. It's good. What's good? It, it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, there's a theme of it being good. When can you remember back in the Old Testament? Go all the way back to the beginning. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. What did he say as he was creating? He kept saying, this is good. This is good. It is good. He got to the people. He said, this is very good. God has a habit of doing things that are good. But I think this is a weird time, to weird place to put it, right? And it's not on accident. God saw that what was going on in Jeremiah's life as he was, as he was grieving the loss, as he was mad because people wouldn't listen, as he was brokenhearted over it, God saw that it was good because God could see the beginning from the end. Jeremiah was stuck in the middle. He had come back to clinging to hope in, in the Lord. And then he's saying, this is a good thing. I'm going to grow through this. The Lord's doing something here. It's good that I should wait quietly. Maybe I just need to wait and see what God does with this. When we talk about it being good, Psalm 92, verse 1 and 2 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. See, that psalm can be read when things are good from a circumstantial standpoint, 
And that psalm can be read from Jer- with Jeremiah right in the midst of suffering. It is still good to give thanks to the Lord. I'm on a J.C. Ryle kick. Last quote. By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we should never learn. By affliction, he shows our emptiness and weakness, draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. As I think about the fact that God still accomplishes His will in times of suffering and waiting, which is true, right? Just because we're waiting or we're suffering doesn't mean God's not working. I think of a current, current example. Never met this girl in my life. She's a friend of a friend on Facebook, but I saw this, I guess, earlier this week. I thought, man, that's an example of what it looks like to wait and to still cling to God, to the hope of the Lord. She is pregnant full term and at a point where they're giving them very little hope that that baby will be born alive. More than likely it's going to be a still, stillborn baby. And she wrote this. She said, I know many of you are praying for a miracle. I pray that too. God can do whatever he wants. I pray for a miracle while preparing for the death of my little girl. This is not a lack of faith. Faith is not wishful thinking, nor is it believing with all my might that God will do what I want him to do. I can't force my desires on him, nor believe that my way is better than his. Faith is trusting in God's good character and believing that he will do what he says he will do. That he is who he has revealed himself to be in his word, regardless of circumstances. Faith is placing my future in his hands, knowing that he will always do right. Faith is sometimes letting go of what I thought was best to accept what he has allowed, then running to him with my hurt. So we can pray for that miracle. And whatever happens, we can stand solid in the comfort of his goodness and righteousness. God still accomplishes his will in times of suffering and waiting. The last few verses that we just read, starting in verse 31, we can see that hurt and hope can actually coexist. All right, we, don't, we don't have to rid our lives or approach life in such a way that if we have any hurt, then we're robbed of any hope. Hurt and hope can coexist. I had the privilege of meeting with a, a customer earlier this week as well. I don't know why God seems to do that Like as I'm preparing to preach. It's like, oh, hey, why did I meet you? Oh, I know why I met you now. But I was, I was writing some insurance for this particular customer. I've asked for her permission to share this. Probably a 70, late 60s, 70-year-old lady, super sweet lady. But I'm, running, I, I'm asking 
it literally was the very first question on the application. Hour and a half later, through tears, I, I hear her story. And so the question was asking about, a th- you know, have you ever had any thefts? And so she goes on to explain that, yes, I did have a theft. My son um, stole all of our jewelry. Or she said, all my jewelry got stolen several years ago. Um, turns out it was my son. He, he struggled with addiction. She went on to tell me that he got arrested. They, they wanted, you know, they wanted there to be some consequences for his good got arrested and he was going she was going to go bail him out but felt like I don't need to do that tonight I shouldn't do that tonight he needs to feel this well he ended up committing suicide that night in jail she goes on to tell me she has another son who was on the working on the job Guy was driving a truck, but he was it was a two-man crew. And so one of his friends, who was his partner for a long time, fell asleep at the wheel. Her son died instantly. She goes on to tell me that her husband passed away a few years ago. That's why she's here from from excuse me, from Texas. So she dealt with the death of her husband. And then Her daughter got hit head on. She's now a paraplegic. And at no point in this time was she telling me this without hope. She said, Preston, I don't know where I would be without the Lord. (laughs) What? When our lives are rooted in who God is, when we cling not to just what life circumstances happen, we will find a faith in the Lord that is unshakable. We see Jeremiah, and I want us to look at it now as we've read the All 33 verses, we see Jeremiah and he's lamenting. But have you looked at it in a through the lens of Jesus? Right? Because all scripture points either forward to Jesus or back to Jesus. And I think what we can see in this passage of Jeremiah is that Jesus perfectly identifies with Jeremiah. We get a taste of what Jesus is going to experience. Jeremiah in verse 1 says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the the rod of God's wrath. Who is the man who has seen affliction under God's wrath? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who bore the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross. He felt the full weight of God's wrath. He was the man who saw that affliction. Verse 8, he says, though I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. What does Jesus cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the weight of God's judgment. 
Verse 13, Jeremiah says, He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, what did they do to ensure that he was dead? They stabbed him. They made sure that what came out was clear. Verse 19, the wormwood and the gall. He talks about bitterness and wormwood and gall. What did they give Jesus as he hung on the cross? They squeezed the sponge of bitterness so he could stay stay alive and suffer a little bit longer. Verse 30, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. As Jesus hung on the cross bearing our sin, he was filled with insults. He was beaten even before he went to the cross. And I want to end with us looking at Jeremiah because, and maybe I've been guilty of this even how I've, you know, I've talked a lot about Jeremiah. I haven't necessarily talked as much about the people of God. But when we read this, when we read this part of Lamentations, we have a tendency to read ourselves into the story. And then we want to identify with Jeremiah. Who are we? We're the people of God. We're the ch- We're the church who chose our own idols, who set up our own idols and went our own way. We are the people who Jeremiah is lamenting over. And Jesus is our hope to not stay separated from God. Jesus is our hope as we look at the new covenant To be restored to our creator. Once again. We're the people who rejected God. We pursue our own gods. He's faithful to us. He hasn't casted us off. His mercies. They fail not. We deserve. Death. And annihilation. He offered us his son to bear all the judgment that was due us. That's our hope. He offers us a hope through the true suffering servant, King Jesus. And so as we recap, I want us to remember... That while suffering tempts us to lose hope, God's faithfulness teaches us to choose hope.